Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The Michelin Le Mans Cup on RS3. On RS3. Part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Michelin Le Mans Cup is reaching the really important rounds of the championship now. Two more to go. We're back to the two-hour format as well. Unlike what happened at Le Mans a few weeks ago with two 55-minute races, full championship points on offer this weekend. And this is the perfect setting for the penultimate round. Monza, Autodrome Internazionale di Monza. And uh, such a history around this place, quite clearly. Uh, built in 1922, so we're really not very far away from its centenary year. Delighted that you could join us for qualifying. My name's Johnny Palmer, and joined this weekend by a man who has raced this track a few years ago, admittedly, but great to have Peter Snowden on board, joining us for not only the Michelin Le Mans Cup, but also the European Le Mans Series sessions throughout the course of the weekend. GT3 cars out first, Peter. They're going to get 15 minutes, only eight of them, so the name of the game really is to find a little bit of gaps in the traffic to, 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 to set a good lap time. Morning, Johnny. Yes, good morning. very good very good point there, finding the gap. You'd have thought around Monza, the Temple of Speed, where we've got loads of space and a very, very high-speed lap. You'd thought just eight cars on track for this 15-minute session. Uh, there's a law for this that says it won't happen. <laughs> where They will always find that it blocked my lap. I didn't get that bit. It's always going to be the way. So it's, it's quite interesting. You'd, you'd say you'd think logically it would happen, but uh, we will see. Just the eight cars out. Uh, Kessel Racing... Uh, being featured at the moment, of course, Ferrari and uh, Ferrari UK Challenge happening in uh, Setterton today as well. The back in the UK, eight cars in that series as well, ironically. Okay. So eight Ferraris over there in Setterton finishing their final round of Ferrari Challenge UK. And we, we have to start the show with Ferraris at Monza, don't we? We have to have a mention. Sadly, no Tifosi on site, and uh, the obvious reason being coronavirus. Although, actually, Italy as a country majorly affected just up the road at Bergamo in, this, in the Lombardy area when COVID-19 first hit the country. But at the moment, numbers relatively low in this part of the world. Uh, Peter and I tested as we arrived into Mil- Milan Linate Airport yesterday. And although there are fluid rules changing all the time, this race meeting being run strictly to COVID protocol, it has to be done that way for it to even take place. And sadly, that means no fans on site. That's been the case all year for ELMS and the Michelin Le Mans Cup. And even more kind of uh, galling, I suppose, for the fans, because normally this would be an open event. It's free for the fans to get in, or it has been for the last three or four years. So a real shame that at least for this year we can't have the fans on board, but we hope that uh, those of you enjoying it, wherever you may be around the world, uh, will be able to attend events into 2021. And there was a big announcement actually from the Championship on Thursday of this week of the new calendar for 2021, and we could delve into that Uh, throughout uh, our broadcasts. So two qualifying sessions through the course of today. And then there is a race today as well for the Michelin Le Mans Cup, which will be the penultimate round of the season, as I say, potentially with a championship to be sealed, two championships to be sealed, and an invitation to the Le Mans 24 hours in 2021. Because if a team wins GT3, this category we're just about to enjoy, they automatically get an invitation to the 24 Hours of Le Mans, which is a huge, huge prize. I was going to say, an automatic entry to Le Mans 24 Hours. It doesn't get any better than that. I mean, it's yeah, finishing first, they all want to do it, drivers get on the podium, etc., etc. But the big bit there, the real key factor is you get an automatic entry to the Le Mans 24 Hours. And that's uh, how uh, Tom Ferrier's team did it. They were winners in this GT3 category, got themselves to Le Mans, um, also entered the European Le Mans series as well and TF Sport now a regular in the World Endurance Championship so there is a, a very clever ladder system which has been put in place uh, by this championship and by uh, LMEM who are incidentally celebrating I am told their 100th race uh, event this weekend because combining the World Endurance Championship and the ELMS will be up to race 100 under Uh, the tutelage under the management of LMEM tomorrow. So a big, big milestone there. Well, you mentioned at the top of the show there that uh, I'd actually rate it this circuit. The last time I raced here was in GT3 for Porsche, and one of my teammates was Tom Ferrier. There you go. Who's going to into an amazing TF sport now that is. And yeah. uh, 
uh, I get the great pleasure sitting alongside you and talking about him. He was, he was always a good teammate. Uh, he was a great driver. And uh, even better, I would say, as a team manager. He might not want to admit that, but I would say he is. And he wasn't a bad driver. Cars are out on track then, and the pit lane obviously open to all. There's nothing to stop you making a pit stop potentially in this session as well. The only thing against that is it's only 15 minutes. The other thing I should point out is that uh, two drivers per car come the race later on today. Uh, within that combination, you have to have a bronze driver and it has to be the bronze doing the qualifying, which I love about this uh, particular championship. A lot of championships around the world dedicate your fastest driver the responsibility to where it is positioned on the grid. However, the regulations mandate that it must be the, the non-professional uh, at the wheel of these GT3 cars, and that's the same for LMP3 when we get to it as well. Two 15-minute sessions. So it is Nicky Loitvila out in a repaired Porsche. Those that were paying close attention to the Michelin Le Mans Cup at Le Mans. Sadly, this car, the Porsche from PZ Obera Zurichsee by TS Sport. It's a catchy name. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mouthful, isn't it? Yes. Um, and that car was very badly damaged on what turned out to be lap one of the race because the green flag lap was actually when the clock started to count down. And poor old uh, Nicky Leutwila, on a wet track, although drying, was trying to get generate some temperature into the Michelin tyres, lost it whilst weaving, and clattered into the concrete barrier through Dunlop Curve. That was race over before it had begun. But I'm delighted to see that the TFT Porsche is brilliantly repaired, looks spectacular in the Monza sunshine, and he is out there for the Swiss doing the qualifying in car number two. We got the two Iron Links Ferraris with Giacomo Puccini and a new name to the championship, Emanuele Maria Tobacchi. So welcome to the bronze driver there, Nicolo Schiro, his teammate. I have tracked back to, be, to doing the European Le Mans series, I think in 2016, but this will be Nicolo's first race in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. So welcome the two of them in a late driver change for car number nine. John Hartshorn is in the 50 car. We've got Turkish driver Murat Tuadorolu. I think is the correct pronunciation. And there's a driver change in terms of his teammate, uh, David Fuminelli, taking the wheel in the second bit of the race, you have to think. Also, a new team and a brand-new car to the championship. We've never had a McLaren 720S. We had the 650S in previous years. But uh, Brendan E. Reed of America will be joined by Ollie Milroy in the 70 Optimum Motorsport McLaren. And then we've got the Kessel Racing Ferrari of Mikhail Bronizhevsky and Claudia Schiavone out in the 77 Iron Links Ferrari. So that are, those are all your runners and riders, Peter. Busy set. It doesn't sound a lot, but eight cars. It's, it's quite busy out there. Nice yes. to see some, uh, you say some English set up there. The Kessel Racing number 50 cars, you say the 488 GT3 Ferrari, um, all, obviously all GT3s. John Hawthorn, but Oliver Hancock in that car as well. That's what right. What the Hancock dynasty, really, because a big brother Sam as well, very well known to us in LMP, Le Mans and GT terms. But of course, his father, Tony Hancock, not the comedian, but a great uh, Formula Ford competitor in his day. And uh, those boys, naturally, we were saying that just actually related to this, and one of, one of my roles at uh, Thruxton when I issue odds licenses is, I actually signed off Ollie Hancock's license. Okay. So he's out it's there by small permission world, of us. It? It's a small world, isn't it? I'm sure, I'm sure he won't want to remember that, or more importantly, won't want to be reminded of it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember doing that one. It's quite a long time ago now. Ollie Milroy out there. Again, somebody I've worked with a great deal. But you say, great to see a McLaren out there. That's the, the Optimum Motorsport car, as you said. Uh, number 7070, that'll be out shortly. Uh, just looking at that GT3 Porsche, I would almost guarantee you, mention Tom Ferry here. I bet Tom Ferry, if he's watching this now, uh, look at this uh, number two Porsche there. Um, GT3 Porsches weren't anything like that in our day, and that was only 13 years ago. I've never seen a wing that big on one. <laughs> we, we had it was a Carrera Cup car, basically. Um, so that's, that's what happened. That's, I guess that's just called evolution, or in my case, just getting older. Uh, yes. <laughs> you, did say, you did say it's, it was a while it's ago. It's happening to us all, in fairness. But, <laughs> but uh, not yeah. you. Uh, no, it is. It's creeping up on me. Um, thank you to Jeff Carter, who is the FIA media delegate once again here this weekend. I think Jeff is one of only three people that will have done, assuming he can be here tomorrow for the uh, ELMS race. He is on site, so he will be in attendance, I'm sure. Uh, one of only three people that will have done every single one of the 100 LMEM events through the past, what are we talking, uh, eight years or so after uh, they organization took charge of the WEC in 2012. They took charge of the ELMS in 2013. Anyway, he makes the point that although it's Giacomo Puccini on the timing screen, 
it won't be Giacomo actually in the car. He's not permitted to take part in this session because he's the gold. So, yes, Reno Mastronardi, with his number of pole positions already uh, this year, uh, will be actually at the wheel of the number eight. So we can make sure we can sort of uh, adjust that on our screen. I'm sure it will be changed imminently. So the Porsche, only one in the field, heading out of Ascari for the first of its timed laps. And an interesting point raised by Eduardo Freitas yesterday in the uh, online briefing is that if a car goes wide out of turn 11, which is the Parabolica, and disrespects the track limits on the exit of that corner, not only will the current lap be, be deleted, but the next one will as well, because... He sees that as an opportunity to go even faster down the start-finish straight. You're going to get a better exit out of Parabolica and potentially gain advantage on the next lap. So not one but two laps that you will have deleted. In a 15-minute session, you cannot afford to be doing that too often because the time is just going to evaporate, isn't it? Absolutely. It sounds a bit draconian when you first think of it, but it's a very valid point that you're gaining such an advantage at the end and the beginning of the next lap, so it carries it forward. So yeah. why wouldn't you? It's uh, a little bit of forward thinking, I think, from the officials there. It's, uh, I think it's fair. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to disincentivise the drivers, isn't it? To say, Let, let's not do it. And it is, it is a prime place to try and do that. We've seen it in other categories here. Yeah, exactly one of the things we want to come and do, get that run down there. Use that bit of old track uh, and get a run down the pit straight there. Here come the times, and Arena Mastronardi's wasted no time at all to go to the top with a 150.329. He's already 1.3 seconds clear of Brendan Ereeb, who makes his attendance uh, on the championship. First appearance, of course, uh, felt very early because he briefly went to the front row with the Optima Motorsport McLaren. However, Murat Chiridorilu uh, slots in between them now in the 67 Kessel Racing Ferrari. 1.1 seconds the advantage for Reno Mastronardi, who currently leads the championship. He's on his own at the top of the, the championship as well because Giacomo Puccini missed the second round at Ricard, wasn't it? So Mastronardi actually going to be a lone champion if he can do the business this weekend or indeed at Portimao at the end of the month slash... Well, actually, it will be the end of the month, won't it? Because uh, it depends how the timetable shakes out. Sometimes Portimao presents us with a, a, an early Sunday morning race for the Michelin Le Mans Cup, in which case it will be just into November that weekend straddling uh, the two months. Seven minutes and 15 seconds to go. And Porsche back across the line, and that puts Nicky Leutwiler to the top. The other thing we will find in this particular session is because it's the, the lesser experienced drivers at the wheel, they are finding time lap on lap, whereas the pros can get in and pretty much set their best time on lap two. You don't tend to find that with the bronzes. They're, they're just feeling their way out there. Porsches are making any errors and then feel maybe we can push a little bit more on this next lap. So don't be surprised to see the best lap of the session pretty much set at the very end. So it means we cannot uh, be distracted as Claudius Giovanni a moment or two ago hitting the kerb fairly heavily into the second chicane there. There is the option if you feel like you're going a bit too fast. Actually, it might have been a scary. Yeah. Yes, where you can take plenty of curb. It was a bit too fast for my liking for the second chicane. Uh, Della Roger up onto the curb there for Mastronardi through the second bit of Retifilo at the start of the lap. These famous names as he now heads through the Curva Grande, which is uh, turn three, corner three on our track map this weekend. 5,793 metres of beautiful asphalt. And it looks like it's not long being resurfaced, actually. I wonder whether they did that for the Grand Prix, which is only a handful of weeks ago, when Formula One was doing back-to-back -back weekends in Italy, here at Monza, and then the following Sunday at Mugello in Tuscany. And Ferrari's in heavy attendance, I think it's fair to say, in the Michelin Amon Cup this weekend, with one, two, three, four, five, six, four eighty-eight. GT3s, we've got one McLaren and the Porsche, which is currently second. So Reno Mastronardi again fastest on that lap, and he's quicker on this one as well, having just completed the first sector, which runs just into the braking area for the second chicane. So Mastronardi now working his way out of Ascari with a red Ferrari up ahead. That's the 50 car of John Hartshorn heading towards the high-speed approach to the Parabolica. And there are only five minutes to go now. I wonder whether we're actually going to see any pit stops because by the time you've come in to potentially bolt on a new set of tyres, 
pit lane could be closed by that point, or even if you do scramble out, will there be enough time on the clock to get round before it reads zero? Four and a half minutes to go, and this time disappears very, very quickly indeed, but not as quickly as we will find in the European Le Mans series qualifying sessions that are only 10 minutes long. And uh, really, when you've done your outlap, you're looking at more like seven or eight minutes to actually set the time. And track space is more of a pressing issue when we get to those a little bit later on in the day. But Reno Mastronardi doing a splendid job here. He's just gone. Well, that wasn't a quicker lap, was it? It was two absolute best sector times through one and two, but the final sector there was a delay, and I think I mentioned that the fact that John Hartshorn for Kessel Racing may have been a distraction a little bit further up the road on that run into the Parabolica. And Michel Broniszewski slotting into third position there as well. But the Porsche looks very smart indeed in the TFT livery, car number two, heading over the grid hatches now to tick off another lap. Is that an improvement? It is for Nicky Leutwiler, and he's got to within a quarter of a second now of the fastest time from Reno Mastronardi. So, does that mean that uh, Reno Mastronardi had maybe to been toying with uh, a time to, to come into the pits, cutting short uh, the session, and now with a bit of timing and scoring board pressure, from behind, Lloyd Vila uh, pushing hard. That might force Mastronardi into a few more laps, but there is also a question mark, Peter, about where the sweet spot is for the window of the tyres. You know, are you going to get two or three laps of ultimate performance? Michelin build a very um, kind of robust tyre for the stints, which has to be 50 minutes, but the peak performance may well disappear after just a handful of laps. Yeah, and it's across the line there. Only three minutes of this session left to go already. That's how quickly it's come around. So you've really got to get on with it. And obviously that's something for the drivers and the engineers to sort out between themselves as to when that peak performance of that tyre is. But it's, uh, that's the difference or the problem, if you like, of a tyre that's built, you say, to do 50 minutes and have a, a decent performance curve, not, so not a dramatic change. But how does that work in qualifying? So do you sacrifice qualifying in reality, in relative terms of we know what it will do, do so much and it won't really come alive until the race? Because the race is where you get the points, that's where the finishes matter. So it's, it's an interesting thing to talk amongst the drivers and, and teams to see what they do there. We might, uh, we might go and have a chat with some of, the, some of the guys in this a little bit later on and see what we can find out if, uh, if they'll reveal that kind of information. They may not, of course. Possibly not. And they tell it's fantastic and be done. A chance to hear that fabulous 4-litre V8 from the McLaren 720S. It's a twin-turbocharged V8 for Brendan Ereeb and his teammate Ollie Milroy. Ollie, not part of this session, remember. American Brendan Ereeb um, will be qualifying it as the bronze. And plenty of steering input there, wasn't there, from the uh, driving position, left-hand drive for the British car. And it heads out of Parabolica with a big old thunderous uh, noise echoing around the Temple of Speed and it will head across the line now. Brendan's doing a decent job. He's in fifth place, had been toying with a, a starting position of maybe in the first couple of rows and there's still time on the clock for him to reply, a minute and ten seconds. Now, that is less than a lap time, so he's got oh, a bit sideways coming over the kerb out of Redifilo, though, at the start of this, which will be his final lap. Anybody crossing the line now, they'll be able to finish the lap they start. But as soon as you come out of the Parabolica and you see a chequered flag, that will be session over for your car. So big question mark now is that who's going to sneak onto one extra lap, which could be very, very pivotal in terms of how the grid shapes up. Also, the interesting thing is that sometimes we get a bit of overlap between the quickest GT3 car and the slowest LMP3 car. And there is no split grid when the grid is issued. You could potentially have a GT3 car up as high as 7th or 8th in the overall, uh, which means it could be a very busy start indeed. We had that at Le Mans just a few weeks ago. I think busy is an understatement. Yeah. You might just see eight cars going on with bronze drivers in now, but I think the the race, it's going to be slightly different. Well, it's also entirely open to the teams as to which driver you start with, so if you're maybe not qualified so well, you can stick your gun driver in to start with, get it up the order, provide a really good foundation for then the bronze driver to take over. Um, and that's quite a cool way of, of rejigging the race a little bit. The chequered flag is out, so 15 minutes have elapsed, but car number eight, Reno Mastronardi, is on to another lap. 
as is the number nine car. Full driver change for this machine from Iron Lynx this weekend with Emanuele Maria Tabaki doing the driving in qualifying. And that car comes out of Escari. Varianti Escari, which uh, turns 8, 9 and 10 in very quick succession indeed. You need to guarantee a good exit out of 10, not too much over the white line, but that will determine your top speed into the Curva Parabolica. Tighter on the entry, but it opens steadily. And that is where Charles Leclerc had a monster crash in this year's Grand Prix, of course, into the tyre wall. So out of that right-hander, he goes across the line and... Was there a change for the number eight car? There was, uh, yes, there was. It was an even better time. A 148.172 represents the best lap of the session. So that's what I'm talking about in terms of uh, paying attention to the very last moment. Although he already had pole position, Reno Mastronardi, he's extended the gap very slightly to 0.323 of a second. Nicky Leutwiler, second and already home. Now, the question is, can Michel Bronizewski improve from fourth position? He's about to come across the line now as well. And we've also got, uh, unfortunately, a message relating to the Porsche on the screen that that car was speeding in the pit lane, either at the start of the session or just now as it came in. So the high fives that are taking place down at TFT may be a little bit early because there's normally a penalty to pay if you exceed the 60 kilometre per hour speed limit in pit lane. The four car, or rather the 74 car, which was fourth, did not improve. Michel Bronizhevsky, therefore, outside of the second row, effectively, of GT3. But it's another pole position for Rino Mastronardi and another point to his championship. He goes to 91, therefore, and has a lead of 29 now over those behind. Championship could be sealed this weekend. If he gets a race win, it gets slightly more complicated, however, if Mastronardi and Giacomo Puccini finish second or lower, and the 74 car does very, very well. We can run through the permutations when we get a little bit closer uh, to the race. Also, something we need to bear in mind is that uh, when they get to their pit stops, each car has to make one pit stop in GT3 for a driver change. Um, although there's nothing in the regulations that says you have to do the driver change at the same time as this fuel fill, and some teams have weaved a bit of strategy into those regs at times. Uh, but, um, yeah, because the uh, because the Mastronardi's uh, car leads the championship, they're going to have to take 30 extra seconds in the pit stop. And that's a, a part of a, a kind of success handicap penalty pit stop time. Right, we can get some reaction then from the session. Let's speak to the man himself, Reno Mastronardi, now chatting with Hayley Edmonds. Reno, you just got pole position here at Monza. Another pole position and another point. So in the championship. Yeah, this point is very useful for the for the championship, uh, and of course I'm very happy for the pole position. Uh, is it, I think it's the fifth of the, of the season, yeah. So I'm, I'm very happy. The car is, was very good. I'm very confident that the race will be, will be good as well. So let's see. Thank you very much. Hayley Edmonds chatting to Reno Mastronardi. And, uh, yeah, very, very happy indeed, as you would expect. He increases his championship tally by a single point, but it could be pivotal come the end of the season, of course. And, yeah, so uh, that car, although it may well be nicely placed in the race, when it comes in for its pit stop, everyone's got to do a two-minute pit stop, point to point, uh, pit in to pit out, but they will have to do a two-minute 30 pit stop because they lead the championship, and that, again, could give the race a whole different complexion. Confirmation that Reno Mastronardi, after setting a 1 minute 48.172, sets the fastest time of the session from the PZ Obera Zurich Say by TFT Porsche, three tenths of a second slower. Third place for uh, Emanuele Maria Tabaki, who is a new driver to the championship, but nevertheless setting a really good time, a 148.784 to go third in car number nine for Iron Lynx. Michel Bronizhevsky, fourth fastest in car 74, and fifth place was Brendan Ereb for. Optimum Motorsport. Claudius Giovoni, uh, Murat Chiridoralu and uh, John Hartzorn will complete the grid and the Porsche motoring its way through Curva Grande onward towards the uh, towards the Varianti della Roggia, the second chicane, which is very tricky on the approach, particularly if you're side by side with another car. There is an option, if you wish, to go straight on there, but you have to go to the right-hand side of a bollard, which has been 
constructed there or um, inserted into the into the asphalt, round the bollard and rejoin safely. Otherwise, uh, you'll start to incur the wrath of the stewards. So the timing screen in front of us changes from eight GT3 cars to 16 LMP3 cars. And this is a mixture of Ligier and Duquesne machinery, all brand new for 2020. There's also a brand new engine powering these cars. It's a spec engine uh, built by, well, uh, Nissan created it, built it, but it's race prepared by Orica. And unfortunately, at the start of the year, it was detected that uh, this engine is very, very thirsty. And it means that actually Orica could not confirm and guarantee that the engine could do the race distance on two amounts of fuel. So uh, there's going to have to be an extra stop, as there has been all season. And in the race, this is going to happen in the last 20 minutes of the event or beyond 100 minutes, uh, you'll have to take the, the second stop. The banking, which used to be used for the Italian Grand Prix, of course, back in the day. And the full oval is still very much here at Monza, just not used these days. But uh, I'm sure many of the teams have been out to sections of that very high banking to take press shots, either with their car or just their driver lineup. And we'll get to plenty of opportunity to, to see that uh, very historic banking through the course of the weekend. It's the standard Grand Prix circuit that we are using this weekend. Very high speed, and you will burn through a fuel load very quickly indeed because so much of this track is wide open throttle. A little bit like Le Mans, actually. I think that's 80% throttle around the lap, 24 hours of Le Mans, and Monza won't be too far behind it. The, the two chicanes have slowed things down, I think rightfully so, considering the speed that these modern-day race cars can do. CD Sport of Spain... Nick Adcock, I think, will be the driver to take the wheel for qualifying because it is the same rule again for LMP3. So it's only the bronze in your combination that he's allowed to do the qualifying. I was saying earlier on, Pete Snowden, that actually that, that's something I really like about this championship. It, it, it's not necessarily unique, but it's rare that so much responsibility is put on the shoulders of the driver that's lesser experienced. Actually, what they want is track time and they want sessions that mean something. And that's certainly, certainly something that this championship gives to them. Absolutely, and personally, I think I think it's a great a great way to go. Um, the way this is organised and structured and become a feeder series and graduating and learning. I was talking to Duncan Tappy earlier on that was saying, obviously down at United Autosport, and he's saying uh, he's not just he's not just a race driver. In fact, that's that's almost a, a smaller part of his, his job. That's what he's there to do. But it's there about the coaching, making sure his drivers. Uh, get up to speed. He does that—that that, all that side of it because he's a professional driver coach. But it's much more about that and bringing people on. That as he put it, he said, not only have the performance results, but enjoy their weekends motor racing as well, which is what they're doing. These gentlemen drivers. And I think I think this structure, as you just said, that 15-minute bronze session only. It's a great way because it builds the confidence, and they're, they're not the easiest things in the world to drive. And you're not exactly at, uh, at forgive me, Mallory Park. We are at Monza. <laughs> you know, no, not disrespecting Mallory Park. It's a great circuit, but what I think it's not exactly a club circuit. We are talking, you know, the, the Temple of Speed. It's called that for a reason, uh, and that's why we have. And we see we see it with Nurburgring, with the the VLN now NLS and the uh, Nurburgring 24 hour that we did a couple of weeks ago of the the ring license and this structure of making sure people know what they're doing because there's you've got to take these things seriously because they're. They're the, the ground-born aircraft, really, the pace at which they're going at, these LMP cars. They're not, they're not club racing. And I think that structure is a, is a great discipline for those drivers, building up their confidence, getting their understanding of the rules. And it's not just the amount of information you've got to take on board. Now, they're usually quite successful businessmen to be able to be in a position to do this in the first place. So they're, they're used to lots of data information and processing it. But you're also driving a car around at a great deal of speed in a very strange environment. I once likened this, as I said years ago, most sporting activities, you wear all the appropriate clothing to keep yourself cool. In a racing car, you do exactly the opposite. You put underlayers on, fireproof overalls, balaclava, gloves, helmet, hands device, then go and sit in a small carbon cockpit with a great engine behind you giving you a load of heat, never mind all the G-forces you're subjected to. You're doing a workout all the time, and you're required to think and read things and press buttons on dashboards and whatever. There's a there's a great deal of information to take in board. It's almost like I say, like a like a fighter plane these days. Well, that's the that is the science behind it. You're basically taking aeroplane wings and turning them upside down, aren't you, to force the car down onto the road, and that creates the downforce rather than the uplift that you would get from a from a plane. So 
very much so. And you and I were having a conversation earlier on today about, you know, when some of some race cars around the world, when they start going backwards in the States, NASCAR, for instance, that's actually when they take off because all of a sudden the downforce is working against the car and um, lifting them off the asphalt, which is never ideal. That's something that's had to be thought about with these prototype cars. Had uh, a number of years when LMP2s and P1s, for that matter, at Le Mans, could sometimes get sideways on the very long straights at Mulsanne, and there was a risk that they would actually take off. So that's when the dorsal fin was added to the bodywork. These cars have that as well. So that straight line from the back of the, the cockpit to and the safety cell to the rear wing, there is a dorsal fin, as they call it, uh, which helps to keep the car grounded. Also, fairly large square holes on the top of each of the wheels, the wheel arches. There's a kind of cutout there, which again allows the air to escape, and that's had to be cleverly designed into these 2020 spec cars as well. So as I say, combination of the Duquesne M30 D08 and the Ligier JS P320, and uh, there are other LMP3 cars on the market as well. Two other cars that are potentially available, but we only have uh, these two present on the Michelin Le Mans Cup grid for the time being. Championship-wise, well, uh, last time out at the, the 24 hours of Le Mans, there were two races in support of the big race, of course. The Road to Le Mans event are really highly thought of and, and a great chance to actually explore and experience the eight-and-a-half-mile Circuit de la Sarte track. Maybe not in the main race, but you can uh, race it on the support categories. And... Uh, they're always really well sus subscribed. It was a race win on the Friday for DKR Engineering, and that uh, race uh, win, or the, the lead, was taken on the final lap by Laurence Thor after a really good drive. So uh, that bolstered their championship position. And then it was a win on the Saturday morning for Cool Racing, car 37 of Edward Cahope and Nicola Molini. So we were left, essentially, with... It's not quite a two-horse race just yet, but it's getting closer to, to that. And I think uh, the championship um, potential permutations will be a lot clearer at the end of this meeting. But Jean-Gloria and Laurence Hoare for DKR Engineering of Luxembourg lead the championship on 80 points and Cool Racing are second. But the other Cool Racing car, number 69, which is driven by uh, Maurice Smith and Matt Bell, uh, that car's in third and only six points back. So it's actually pretty tight for second position. And Cool Racing have been getting better and better. DKR have, are the only team that have ever won the Michelin Le Mans Cup at LMP3 level. It's a championship that started for P3s in 2017, and they won it in 17, they won it in 18, and they won it in 19. Surely, at some stage, that long line of championship runs is going to come to an end, uh, but the number three car will be trying to make sure it doesn't in 2020. And that car's out on track now with Jean Gloria at the wheel. But again, a, a lot of uh, interest from the UK, I would say, here. Teams that maybe have done some radical racing in the past and want to step up to international motorsport if they've done some smallish prototype uh, racing in the past. That's where a lot of the drivers come from as well, around the world, actually, around the Europe. Uh, they might have done some club-level prototype racing and then want to eventually get to the, the 24 hours of Le Mans so the stepping stone is Michelin Le Mans Cup first then into ELMS and then potentially to the big show after that I, I, I like how the ladder system is, is laid out in front of the drivers it is and that, that's, that's what we were just saying a few minutes ago weren't we with this, this the bronze category the good way up the LMP2 perhaps not LMP1 for these guys maybe not um, well, I'm sure, sure some would like to do that they probably don't want to be told no, but it's. I think LMP2, personally, I think LMP2 is the place to be at the moment. Having it's said that, there'll be lots of people screaming the name Thomas Laurent to uh, to us. And, uh, yes, Laurent started in the Michelin Le Cup in LMP3, and he became not quite an LMP1 driver, but he was a Toyota test driver for a little while. So why not? You know, Let's not put any barriers in front of these people. Absolutely. Any, anything's possible. And as you say, wh why not? And you've, you've got to have aspirations. You've got to got to move up through the field so good for them but it, as you say I, I do like the way it's laid out it's, it's a very obvious it's a very linear route and very disciplined and you can see there's a natural progression rather than just a uh, I'm not just have a, have a go but you can start in that area do your bronze get through your duty build your way through and uh, that, that ultimate goal is that automatic entry to you know the Le Mans 24 hour race and it's, it's not something that 
is easily entered. It, it is still probably the biggest motor race in the world. Perhaps, perhaps Americans might disagree. Some American listeners to say Indy 500 is. I think it's, I think it's a worthwhile debate. And I think both probably probably good candidates for that, that I'm, title. I'm an ACO man <laughs> through and through. <laughs> I through thought, my, because of my loyalties to these championships. So for me, the 24-hour race is the biggest motor race in the world, no argument. But I, I understand that people may have a different opinion, but they're wrong. Two, <laughs> I like, two languages separated, separated by water, I think, is the phrase, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, uh, but yeah it, is, it is still, it's, it's up there. You know, Le Mans 24-hour race, it was, it was always something I wanted to take part in and never did quite. Well, got very, very close, but never did. And it's still that thing that will always be that sort of, that sort of that, that, that thing you didn't quite get done. Oh, two wheels on the grass down the main straight is not ideal, I have to say, in a qualifying session. That might have been Moritz Krantz, though, who's just gone quickest for Mulner Motorsport. He was absolutely side by side with another car and kicked up the dust as he was heading for the braking area for Retifilio Chicane. Thank goodness he got the car stopped in time, uh, but that is a scare you do not want in qualifying on the same day as the race. Phew, got away with it, and Moritz Krantz said a 145.758 to go quickest. I'll uh, confirm that that was his car in a moment or two, but it was in the sort of right ballpark. Now, actually, Moritz Krantz is already into the second sector, so I don't think that was Mulner Motorsport, but it was a car pushing incredibly hard nevertheless. Jean Gloria finds himself down in third position now in the second of the Duquesnes. Out of the second Lesmo comes the orange and black car of Jean Gloria, and behind him might well be it's the blue and white car of suddenly Milner Motorsport I'm still trying to um, get adjusted to their latest paint scheme but Moritz Kratz is quickest anyway by just a tenth and then just a, a smidgen over another tenth uh, back from Rory Pentadon who is second Jean Gloria is third it's very tight indeed at the sharp end fourth position for Nicola Mella and then we've got Daniel Schneider as Nicola Molini, who had such a great race meeting at Le Mans uh, a handful of weeks ago. He goes quickest now by three quarters of a second. Well, I was just about to mention him in car number 37, the cool racing Liget. Uh, and you just talked about Lesmo. He just had his track, uh, his time deleted on lap two of that for excursion on Lesmo two and was right down at the bottom of the order. And bounce back up again to say just exactly on cue there to take take P1. Yes. So that's the the 37 cool racing car driven by uh, Nicholas Malini, uh, the Swiss driver. All Swiss team there actually. And that's it. Sorry, so the cool racing is. Yeah, and Molini and Cohope, as I said, won the race on Saturday morning at Le Mans. So they come here with a bit of form, actually, second in the championship, and there may be an opportunity to bolt a string of results together. Uh, if they can, right at the crucial time of the season, as down into the Parabolica goes car 23, one of a couple of United Autosports entries. That's John Showerman then, about to complete a lap. That's the car that he shares with Wayne Boyd, who, in his European Le Mans series mode, Wayne Boyd leads the LMP3 Championship with teammates Rob Weldon and Tom Gamble. So through the two Lesmos a moment or two ago, went car 23. He did it prove, did John? up to ninth position for car 23. As did Krantz in the Mulder Motorsport car, now topping the times. With 144.7, it's only a tenth between the front two. Second place being the GKR engineering of uh, Jean Glorio, as you said there. It's but, uh, closer than that now, Peter. Yeah. 34 thousandths of a second between Krantz and Gloria, because Gloria's must have just completed a lap, yeah, a little while ago. And Molini now to the top. So 0.3 of a second, this is this this rotation now of... You, you spend a bit of time at the top, now, now it's Kranz, now it's Gloria, and it really depends where they are on the circuit as to who gets the extra lap. Gloria about to cross the line, can't go quickest, goes briefly second fastest, but now Moritz Kranz back to the top of the pile in his Duquesne, a 144.363. Get used to this, this is standard qualifying in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, and we always tend to get the best lap of the lot right at the end. It's the very definition of trading times, isn't it? Quite literally, so swapping around there. No sooner do you look away and read something, and it's changed again. Uh, we've got a slow car on track. That's the number 27 car. That's the MV, MV2S Racing Liger of... Um, is it uh, Christoph Crespin? It is. It is Christoph Crespin, that car, just pulling over. I think that was almost... Was that over Grande? A little bit of a full short and shot there, but he was pulling over very slowly on the right-hand side of the track, so that would be a yellow flag somewhere around there, wherever he is on the track. But uh, Crespin... 
Not, he's gonna, might be able to limp that car back to the pits. Yes, now sometimes these cars have a little electrical glitches which can be reset by basically turning it off, turning the thing back on again and it will fire back into life. I agree with you, it very much looked like the exit of Curva Grande and he was trying to stay over to the right because you're coming out of Curva Grande on the racing line over to the left and the last thing you want to see is a stopped car. That is the Mulder Motorsport, Duquesne, I thought it was. Blue and white for Moritz Krantz. Behind him on the road is the car third in the session, Jean Glorieux. And the seven car from Nielsen Racing being raced by Tony Wells, uh, originally from Middlesbrough in the northeast of the UK, regularly racing uh, with teammate Colin Noble. They're back again. And Colin was in action for Nielsen along with Tony for the Road to Le Mans races too. Heading through Parabolica with the tail lights illuminated, although the sun glare kind of uh, restricts those or extinguishes them, if you like. We've got cracking weather here at Monza, far better than I was expecting, although there is going to be a fairly radical temperature change, it seems, overnight. We're about 20, 21 degrees today, and wall-to-wall -to -wall sunshine. Tomorrow it's going to drop to 13 or 14 degrees, a bit more blowy, and the potential for rain as well in the middle of the ELMS race, which could make things spicy. <laughs> I think it's an understatement there, Johnny. Yeah, make, make things spicy. Rain at Monza, an LMP car. Mm, just stop and think about that for a minute. The 11 car of Nicola Mella comes out of Ascari, and the 11 car's a fun one to watch because uh, the Housers, David and Gary, take it in turns to do one race on, one race off. Gary did, I think, both races at... No, he have just done the one race at Road to Le Mans, so it's David's turn this weekend. So they each had a, a, a race outing the split Road to Le Mans event, and now David will do Monza. I assume Gary Hauser, the other uh, Luxembourgish brother, will get in, therefore, for Portimao towards the end of October. Still two, hour, two minutes and 50 seconds left on the clock. Moving the motorsport heading underneath the bridge, which is where the banking, by the way, scoops round and uh, over the Grand Prix track. You're headed to a, a fair old dip there with Armco barrier left and right. It's wooded as well, where leaves obviously going to be a problem at this time of year. There was quite a bit of leaf fall, I noticed, at the start of this session for the GT3 cars to clear. Slightly better for the P3s now, as Moritz Krantz continues on. Moritz sharing in the 21 car with Alex Capadia. And I think Alex's first outing with Mulder Motorsport for the season, so he'll be a fun driver to watch as well if he takes over for the second stint. And... These cars really do move around. You don't get that impression at full speed, but as it uh, swings left and right, Morris Krantz, uh, Duquesne, takes a little bit of curb uh, through the second bit of Della Roja, but the suspension's taking a fair old pounding through there. Just kissed it, didn't he? Didn't really take the ditch. He kissed it on the, on the right-hand hole, which is the right thing to do because a bit of sausage curb there, so at least you don't want to be hitting that in these the LMP cars because it doesn't just do... Suspension doesn't do, it doesn't do the tyre walls any good, tyre walls, and of course it, all those bits of carbon at the front and dive for all sorts of things. So you really don't want to be hitting those chamfered curbs, one thing. Another car running a little bit wide, I don't think for a problem, but that Lesmo, that second Lesmo game. But once again, just that little bit wide on Lesmo, not enough to cause an infringement, but what I did notice straight away was there, a whole ton of leaves coming up again. I said, we're not used to this. We had this a few weeks ago, didn't we, the Nürburgring, and you, had it, you said it from the Mon coverage, that... Uh, People having to get leaves out of radiator intakes and all sorts at Le Mans because they're not used to doing that in this time of year. Here, it's slightly different, but quite a bit of... I'm surprised that the debris coming up, it looks bright and sunny, but there's uh, autumnal leaves around. We are in October and also. That's true, and Monza has traditionally, in more recent years, in ELMS fallen towards a kind of May date, so, yes, it's uh, slightly more new. And this is a parkland circuit, so you will think trees far bigger an issue than they would be in Portimao, for instance, which is up in the, in the rocky cliffs over the line with 35 seconds to go uh, an extra lap for car 37 then which is currently second Nicola Molini in the Ligier an absolute best sector three time at the end of that session at the end of that lap rather so 0.171 of a second is the margin that Molini has got to try and make up and he's got one more lap in order to do that it's going to be a close run thing to get car 26 over the line which is the entry from Graf and Rory Pentonen the car that he shares with Matthias Kaiser and Pentonen currently fourth is there an improvement for the Finn no uh, but he did manage to get across the line so car Just 26 on. yeah 
narrow, narrow, uh, certainly, certainly in terms of time, uh, but just squeeze an extra lap through. That could be crucial, Peter. Absolutely. I mean, you, you couldn't have cut it any final to more perfect time to come across the line there. Literally, the shot of it coming across the line there was the check flag coming out. So, uh, everybody else out on track can still improve there. And we've got car number 98 time deleted for track limits at turn seven again, which is Lesmo 2. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, number 98 car. That's the Motorsport 98 car of, um, of the Donka. Currently going in 14th at the moment, anyway. So, unfortunately, that time removed. Patrice Lafargue heading out of Parabolica to see the chequered flag, racing in his number 75 EDEM Sport car. That's an improvement for the Frenchman. So he'll go ninth fastest. Uh, EDEM Sport with a story to tell this weekend. And it's not necessarily a positive one in terms of Paulu Chatin, who sadly has uh, been tested positive for COVID 19. He's not actually suffering any symptoms, but that immediately takes him out of the driver lineup. And a certain Nicolas Minassion taking charge of his seat. We'll talk about that later on today as the cars stream across the line. Cool racing going quicker than anybody else with Nicola Molini, a 143.597. Now, Moritz Kratz had one lap in order to reply and he couldn't do it. 0.139 of a second slower and that was not an improvement for Moritz Kratz and Mulner Motorsport. Jean Gloria across the line to cement third position on the grid. We're just waiting for Rory Pentonen and Pentonen has found improvement in the middle sector but he didn't improve in sector three and Rory Pentonen crosses the line to back himself fourth place on the grid but leaving it incredibly late there cool racing in car num number 37 Nicola Molini off the back of a victory last time out at the uh, 24 hours of Le Mans supporting road to Le Mans Molini bagging the point for him and for his teammate Edward Cohope it just reinforces exactly what you said at the top of this qualifying session though Johnny that uh, everything improves, it all happens at the end, pretty normal in this series, you know your stuff obviously, and you were spot on, it's exactly what happened, quite literally, the last lap. And the Championship League coming into this round was 28 points, that's just chiselled a little bit out of it, it's down to 27 now, of course that is a more than a race victory, because you get 25 points for a race win, it's just the same as as happens in Formula One and other FIA championships as well. So 25, 18, 15, 12, etc. But the key thing for Cool Racing is to keep DKR within a race win points-wise. They need to try and better the results of the Luxembourgish outfit today, if at all possible, and make sure that they can guarantee to be within the championship hunt heading for Portugal in a few weeks' time. But uh, a tremendous uh, performance there from Nicola Molini, who has continued to improve throughout the course of his Le Mans Cup career. And that is another very big step in the right direction. High fives down at Cool Racing. And, of course, uh, Nicola Lapierre is very much uh, truly involved in that team. He drove for them and now, I think, uh, involved in the management and possibly a little bit of uh, the ownership structure as well. And Cool Racing, a team who have been a bit like EDEX Sport, making incremental steps through GT3 racing and then into prototypes and then uh, into the World Endurance Championship, actually, with uh, Alexandre Kwani and uh, with other well-known drivers, Anthony Borger as well, Raja Alexander, uh, a famous name who's not actually racing the World Endurance Championship, but uh, a long-time pilot uh, with Cool Racing. So Molini, who hails from Geneva... 39 years old, he's the bronze-rated driver, has been a Formula Renault 2-litre uh, Swiss champion in the past, but that was uh, about 15, 16 years ago. And his first year into the European Le Mans Series in the Michelin Le Mans Cup was in 2018. Actually, with DKR Engineering, he had a, uh, one race with those guys and with DB Autosport for P3 as well. But this has been a, a, a proper, concentrated effort on the championship in 2020, and he's got a very good teammate alongside him, Edward Co-Hope. So, an enthralling session, and a gap of just, well, less than a tenth and a half between Molini and Moritz Kratz. A, a penny for Moritz Kratz, thoughts. I'll just run you through the official uh, positions of the cars then. Cool Racing take pole, 143.597 from Muma Motorsport of Germany. 
DKR Engineering, the championship leaders, third on the grid alongside Rory Pentonen's Graf car that he shares with Matt Kaiser. Then you've got Racing Experience, also of Luxembourg, to start on the third row alongside the sister cool racing car number 69. That was Maurice Smith, who set the time. He'll be sharing that car with Matt Bell later on. Christoph Kresp got the 27 car going again. Remember the MV2S car was grinding to a halt out of Curva Grande, but he refired it somehow and managed to bag himself seventh position on the grid. Daniel Schneider, eighth, number 24, ninth position for, in fact, ninth and tenth for the two Nielsen racing cars, Tony Wells and Rob Hodes. It's a Nielsen lockout for row five. But I just wonder what Moritz Krantz might be thinking now because he came so, so close to getting pole. He was actually sitting at the top of the times for a little while and must be thinking, where's he found that extra tenth and a half around here? But that's all it is. You just look at those those first three, the Cool Racing, Mulner and DKR. 0.1, 0.3 and 0.8. Just the gaps between those three, the top three. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And it's only one and a half seconds down to about fifth, six anyway. So it's. Uh, I think we're on for an exciting race here, Johnny. The other thing I'm encouraged by is the mixture of the chassis in amongst the top six. We've got three of each, actually. And you can include the top ten in that. Five of each? Yes. So Ligier and Duquesne seem to be pretty much on a level playing field. We've not had that in the past because the Ligier was built first of the older school cars. The Ligier was better for a time. Then the Norma arrived. That was better. And a lot of the new teams had no decision to make. It had to be the Norma. Now we've pressed the reset button for 2020. New cars from both companies um, were homologated and allowed to race at the start of 2020. And they're definitely on on an even playing field, I would say, which promises much, as you say, for the race later on. So a cracking result for Cool Racing. We do need to get some reaction regarding their Ligier and the, t- the time for Nicola Molini. Let's get that now with Hayley Edmonds, who's in the pit lane. Edward, a fantastic start for this um, Michelin Le Mans Cup with Nicola snatching um, the, the, the setting the fastest time in the final lap. So you're starting off uh, with pole position here. Yeah, Nico did a really, a really, a really good job doing the qualifying. He won one point for the championship, so now we are at uh, 18 points uh, behind Dikair. So this afternoon we had to to win the race and to be back uh, for the championship. This is uh, our goal. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So Edouard, I think that might be the first time we've heard from him this year. He's only 18 from Donneville in the Pyrenees and uh, silver graded. He's come out of... Um, well, a little bit of uh, GT4 racing in France for CD Sport, some Blancpain Endurance uh, Series racing as well for Santillot Racing, and continues obviously in the Michelin Le Mans Cup uh, with his teammate uh, Nicolas Molini. And there's uh, yeah, an 18 and a 19 year old uh, in the lineup for the Michelin Le Mans Cup, which um, it's a big step from single seaters definitely into the two seater prototypes. Well, that's the grid sorted for the race later on today. It's a 4:30 local time start. Join Peter Snowden and myself, Johnny Palmer, for that. We'll have it all covered. Bye for now. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.